Hi, I'm Drithi Shah and this is my podcast, Have You Thought About? I'm a writer, journalist and poet. and I love to find out about what interests people chase after in life and also how they manage to blend together these passions in unusual ways. In each edition, I'm going to chat with someone I find particularly interesting and who's been able to fit things together in their life or profession that you don't think will always fit together. You're about to hear me chatting with Jamila Knowles creative who mixes a love of illustration with expertise in artificial intelligence and not forgetting the maths. I started by asking her to explain more about how she started her journey as an AI expert. Now, we met many years ago in another lifetime working on the BBC's user-generated content hub and we were dealing with the coalface of audience contributions. But you've paved out an entirely different career and I'm really interested in finding out how you've become an expert on artificial intelligence. What got you on that path in the first place? Before we were working together, I was working in, in radio, working on Radio 5 Live. And I was working on a program then called Pods and Blogs and then changed up after that to Outriders and interviewing loads and loads of people in technology. And so I was obviously very curious about what they were doing, how they were doing it. I dabbled in a bit of code. Um, my dad taught me when I was a kid how to code very basic things, literally basic, the programming language. But, you know, it was intriguing to me. And I think I decided that I just wanted to finally nail those skills down like formally, and also a little bit to sort of prove to people that I could do it, not just talk about it. How did you even know what artificial intelligence was to go and study it back in the day? Now it's discussed a lot, but I remember talking to you about it way back when, and I was like, what is going on? This person is clearly a polymath, is clearly intelligent, but what are they actually doing? <laughs> well, thank you. I'll take all of that hype as a recording for my ringtone. It was just interesting to me. It was in the things that I was reading and the stuff that I was interested in. Like as a teenager, I was really interested and I loved Wired magazine back then. And it was, to be honest, it was kind of expensive because I think they only had the American version, so it would be imported, but it was kind of special. People were talking about AI a little bit, but it was during this sort of AI winter. So when the funding wasn't really there and it was, <laughs> that's my dog. <laughs> Having dogs, a are, <laughs> dogs are allowed. We like dogs because dogs it could be that dogs not. come as part of this. Have you thought about dogs are more than welcome. But let's go back to funding and AI and dogs can join. Dogs can join. Come here. It was going through a bit of a dip, I think. But I was, I was curious and I could see that some people were interested in like developing it. And it, it's kind of a cool subject. Like if you're into computer science anyway, it's one of those subjects that has a huge philosophical element as well. And we're still sort of arguing about that today when we look at things like generative AI, so ChatGPT or DALI or MidJourney, things that make stuff, which I think maybe we'd become quite comfortable thinking that's what humans do not what machines do and now machines can do it to a certain extent and so there's a lot of big questions around it that I really enjoy. You don't just look at things in isolation and again that's what I love about you and how we I think in a way became friends because you have this interest in artificial intelligence but you're using it in a very unusual way. Again I think through our lives stuff comes back and forth and I have to say also I think you think of things in unusual ways too and that's probably why we're friends <laughs> is there's always a different voice a different angle something else to look at. My first degree I dropped out of and I did fine art history of art and film and it just, I mean, it didn't gel with me and I got a job at the newspapers and I was more interested in what I was working on that way. But I, I thought very visually and loved the arts and, and, you know, would go to the museums and the art galleries and things like this and would draw. 
I didn't take it terribly seriously, but now when I think about AI and completing the degree in AI, that was that was the one that I did finish. I would try and think visually, and there wasn't much in the way of, of visual stakes. I mean, you know, you've got bits of code, got a lot of maths, but I wanted to find ways to communicate around AI. And I don't necessarily mean, although not exclusively, uh, AI generated images, but pictures about AI, sort of how we're feeling about it, how we're reacting to it and what's interesting to us all at the moment. But how do you actually follow that path? Because, you know, how do you get it out of your brain onto paper or the screen? I mean, can you give us a little bit of snippet into your brain? <laughs> I can try. I, I suppose you get you get used to learning about things. I think familiarity is important when it comes to drawing some things for me, particularly things that are, I mean, technology like AI and also say quantum computing is somewhat opaque, if not invisible. So you don't get to see how it works entirely unless, I mean, if you're programming it, you will see some of how it works. But if you're just an end user, you know, you get the results. You don't see what's cooking necessarily. And these do bring up images and, and lots of analogies, I guess, correct or otherwise. You'll see a ton of analogies online about how we think things work and how to try and explain what's happening. And they become a part of language like black box technology. And these phrases can be visual. That That's quite an easy way into to doing that. But also AI now, I think, is applied in so many situations that it's not actually the technology that I'm drawing or painting but the impact and the results so if I'm thinking about women in AI and how few women there are in AI or women of color in AI and to the detriment of the results of how AI works and its diversity then I want to paint pictures of women of color <laughs> you know I want to represent that a bit and then try and use some of the technical language that we recognize for AI into those images as well, maybe combine them. But do you use old school methods to work on these new school methods? Like, can you give us a little bit of an example so that somebody who's listening to this can be like, oh, actually, maybe this is something that I don't have to be scared about that I can actually think about too? Oh, yeah. I mean, I recommend everybody have a think about things. Think about scary things. It doesn't have to be AI. If you think about things and you learn about things, then they're not as scary as you thought they were, no matter what that is. Knowledge, I think, makes us a little bit more empowered. But, you know, for me, it is it, come, it starts with the reading. And I think if you are a, a visual reader, what I mean is if you're reading and you, you see pictures when you're reading, then, you know, you might find it a bit easier then to make sketches and come up with little motifs of, of what you're reading. And the thing is, quite often with a subject like this as well, it can be a new visual language, not at the frontier of language, believe me, I'm not saying that, but the shorthand for AI at the moment, whether it's editorial or in books, is, is quite often just to put a picture of a robot. And it's disappointing. And, you know, I work with an organisation called Better Images of AI, where you can get free pictures. If you if you publish anything, you can get free open licence images to use that are about AI and are not robots, because not all robots contain AI. And I think it's a bit unfair to communicate with a wider population that's maybe not as familiar with these technologies and kind of mislead them into thinking that's what it is. That's how it presents itself when it's you know, it's in the filters on your apps when you're taking pictures and selfies. It's in your email when it's filtering out spam. There's a lot of different places where AI is used and it's just not particularly visually represented. 
on a day-to-day basis, we are interacting with AI, even if you don't realize it. That's pretty much what you seem to be saying. And blimey, that's an understatement, but that's what I'm give you right now, because it's like a blimey <laughs> moment. I hadn't thought about that at all. For you, though, it's not just purely about AI and illustration. You're doing a lot of different types of illustration, too. Are you able to speak to us more on the variety of things that you do visually because I've seen some of your pictures and there is a degree of professional envy there in a good way that you can try different styles out like how do you play different artists will obviously approach things in different ways some have a very clear style that they will use and apply to lots of different subjects and I I find that really admirable because I'm not quite there yet Like I'm still busy playing, as you say, there's a lot to learn, but sometimes it's down to what kind of image am I making? So I'm working on a project at the moment about how, how people feel about AI. So it's, it's not a technical manual. It doesn't have to be diagrams. And I chose specifically to use analog methods for this. So painting in acrylics, paper collage, embroidery, and they can all be used in different ways that reflect different parts of AI. And although particularly like using embroidery in relation to this kind of technology because it might seem very old-fashioned but it was updated and and sewing was was changed during the industrial revolution in the way that maybe language is changing around the digital revolutions so you know I, I can chart a bit of history through things but I suppose when it comes down to it I hope I'm just making an image that either communicates someone or that they connect with in some way like they don't have to know the history of it if you if you think a picture is nice and you you like it and you connect with it in some way I don't think you have to know the whole background behind it I'm just going to bring something in because again this is about have you thought about and often we end up in little rabbit holes so a few years ago I wrote a piece which was probably the first embroidery related piece I'd ever written and that was for the BBC News website and it was about a woman who had spent much of her life creating a very interesting chair but she'd gone out picking up roadkill in order to be able to get the right colors for her animal chair and Mm -hmm. the reason why I raised that because there was a technological aspect to it in that back then when you had the computers because this is over like a period of of decades she said when you printed out you weren't getting the right colors but the Mm. roadkill were providing the right colors for the for the thread um (laughs) so this element of embroidery it's quite interesting on one hand you think of it perhaps in one way but actually a lot of things tend to seep into each other once we think I guess so that's really fascinating and I'd completely forgotten about that and what you're saying I'm I'm like going maybe embroidery is a little bit more technical and more fascinating than I initially considered so thank you for that very much but the other thing I also wanted to bring in with you is you like maths like you find a beauty in maths and yeah. I don't. So it'd be great to know how you do this. It's, I mean, I told quite a few people I was, you know, an art student and a writer. And I think I had convinced myself over a number of years that I couldn't do maths. And, you know, when you tell yourself the same thing over and over again, you you believe it. You know, you don't, you don't always need someone else to tell you you can't do something. You can be busy doing that for yourself. <laughs> And so during the degree, there was a module on on maths and I, you know, I panicked and it was it was humbling because you have to. Well, if you were me, I had to go right back to the beginnings and I was, you know, learning bits of times tables and and, and making sure I understood what I thought addition, and division and subtraction all actually meant. 
putting it into the language of code gave me a reason for doing the mathematics. And so I could see why I was doing it. I think when I was taught at school, we were given some visuals, which was interesting, you know, say a dog is running back and forth between the farmer and the farmer is walking at this pace, but the dog's running at that speed. How far will the dog run before the farmer gets back to his house? And I thought, I don't care. <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I just couldn't, I couldn't relate to it at all. I thought, why? Why do I need to calculate this? You know, and obviously it's to teach you some rules, but I didn't it just didn't get into my fuzzy brain. It didn't seem like an important thing to know um, until, you know, I was getting jobs and working in shops and bars and things. And then knowing how to do mental maths quite quickly became a bit more important, a bit worrying. Uh, working in radio and learning how to count in base 60 and subtract backwards. So you've got, say, a radio show running and you've got a few minutes left at the end for the host to say hello and goodbye. But you have to calculate how much tape you've got left before that actually happens so you can tell the presenter how long they've got to say something so there's a lot of mathematics in the world and the more I did it I actually found it quite reassuring um like you, you'll understand it as a poet and a writer the rules of writing and poetry I think I'm not I'm not a poet um can be flexible they can they can mean very different things to the reader to the writer to an audience over time they'll change and it's very flexible. The reassuring thing I find with mathematics is that there are rules in, in most, most areas, there are rules and they don't change. And so you've got this stability that, you know, if you're doing a certain thing, then something else should happen. So you, you can kind of rely on it. But it's interesting that you say that because on one hand, you're talking about these rules and, and having those rules, but a lot of the things we've discussed, we're talking about things that evolve, like going back to the AI. Yes, there's rules, but you're breaking barriers. So you are a person of contradiction here, I think. I'm glad. I don't think a life without contradiction is a bit, it's probably going to be a bit dull. Like it's just all going to be expected, isn't it? There's not going to be many surprises. It Things change. And, you know, it's a contradiction to, to live you know, a couple of decades going, I can't do maths. I'm not interested in maths. Maths is rubbish. What a horrible thing to do. And even interviewing people, I was like, I'm I'm impressed, but mildly horrified by what you do. But when I finally wrapped my head around it, I was like, oh, okay. And, you know, you, you, you change, you do change over time. Yeah, hopefully for the better. It feels like you're not afraid to start over in order to perhaps take a few steps backward in order to move forwards. How do you get over any sense of ego? Because you are very good at the things you do do. There is no question of that once you get your head into something. I'm not saying you're perfect at everything, but there are certain things you are good at. You can't take that away from you. But how do you make sure that you're like, actually, in order to enter in this place of unexplained where I want to be, I will start the maths again, or I will go back to school and study illustration. What gets you over that bump of, ego perhaps you do have to get over yourself and you know we do all get to a stage I think where we think okay I, I know a bunch of stuff I know stuff it's okay but you know obviously there's a ton of stuff we don't know even about our specialist subjects you know I think in in doing the computer science degree and focusing on AI the AI stuff was like the new frontier that I didn't know about so that was exciting the mathematics and the coding were things that i kind of had some experience in 
to use a, a visual <laughs> explanation again, it was like building a brick wall of knowledge, but some of those bricks are missing and things you don't know they're missing. Um, and so some of the stuff you will have heard before, but it'll be in a new context and it reinforces what you do know. And then, you know, a different angle will be shed upon it that that changes what you know already and makes it either more powerful or more interesting. So, yeah, I, I think going back and sort of saying, OK, I don't, I don't know how to do this or, or doing things that you think, you know, like doing life drawing. I love doing life drawing and I'm really terrified of it because I'm usually in a group of people. I, I like social life drawing. You're in a group of people and you just have to go, well, you know, if I mess it up, everyone's going to see that my drawing does not look like that person. Pretty much once you get in there, like everyone's either been through that phase or had a bad day or, you know, drawn too many fingers or, you know, it just, and and that happens. And, and I think you're with a friendly crowd in that way that you, you all understand that you're going to, you're going to be bad at something when you start. Of course you are. Again, because you're sparking clearly some neurons in in the brain at the moment, when you just said about having too many fingers, some of the things that are coming around, around visual and perhaps the AI usage, is where images perhaps aren't quite human enough and they have got too many teeth or too many fingers. And again, with the pair of us, one of the other commonalities that we have is that we come from a world of verification and truth-finding and... Now, I'm actually wondering, bearing in mind all of your bits of expertise coming together, are we supposed to be looking out for AI with fewer multiple fingers in the future? Will that happen or will there always be ways to realise that reality can still push through? That's a, that's a tough and big question. I know colleagues that worked with better images of AI were asking things like, how can you tell that this image is AI generated? And so that is a learning experience of critiquing stuff. Because sometimes you can just look at stuff and go, yeah, I definitely, it's definitely, you know, AI generated. But other times it's not about whether it's got 13 fingers on one hand or, you know, the, the sort of slightly headliney stuff where it's like so wrong, it's funny or so wrong, it's offensive or, you know, but there will be a sense that something's not quite right with the picture. And it does make you think actually about, you know, ways of seeing and how we identify, say, what is photographically correct and what is generated. But then again, how many times have you seen paintings that are so, where the, the artist is so talented that they can replicate a photographic sensibility in an image? And I've been fooled by that. I've looked at things quickly and gone, oh, there's a photo of such and such. And someone say, oh, it's a painting or an embroidery. And I'm like, what? You know, I'm kind of impressed by that. So maybe I, I don't know. Am I impressed by a machine doing that? Maybe a little bit less so because it's time and effort that appears to be missing in that equation. If you've seen artwork by artists who can draw beautiful photographic style images, how long it takes them. I think I kind of appreciate that. Maybe that's not for everyone, but that's that's kind of where I'm standing at the moment. I think if you need a, a rough and ready, quick image and you're not an image maker, then I think generative AI that makes art is a great idea because it makes it accessible to far more people. If for, for whatever reason you don't like to draw, you don't want to draw, you can't draw, you can't draw to a standard that you like, then use the tools that are available. But you still think there's a space for the labour of a person 
who's or maybe an animal because some animals also draw we will not forget about such creatures that does such things i was thinking about elephants then for some reason yeah 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 elephant paintings are intriguing too i i think it's down to the individual i think it's down to our own tastes i know people who don't like oh, i don't know big abstract paintings that don't seem to have a lot of detail in them because you know you get the usual to be honest slightly boring critic they're like oh my six-year-old could do that and I'm like well okay but what were they thinking about was the life experience of the artist is it something conceptual but it's down to everyone's personal taste I mean one of my favorite paintings I think it's Lucian Freud that did it to be honest it's like grass and some clover like some plants but he painted it over a really long time and it's a huge painting of exceptional detail and the sense of that backstory influences the way I look at the picture. And I just think, wow. And I think maybe also if you try making things, um, you can realize how challenging it can be. Like some people are really lucky. <laughs> you know, you just watch artists make beautiful things. You can watch their videos online and their processes. And it's like, God, oh, I'm really impressed as well as a bit jealous. But there are things that, you know, we're we're all good at different things in different ways. Like I, I cannot write poetry that I think is in the least bit decent and yet I see the things that you've written that you've shared with me I can't get my head around how you've managed to make that craft work for you and you're like oh I just wrote this down the other day I'm like oh my god that would take me like a week and I'd still hate it a lot of personal taste is going to come forth in this and I think it's worth acknowledging that if you don't like something part of the reason might be your experience in your life and, and part of it might be the art itself you never know and that was the wonderful Jamila Knowles, who brings together artificial intelligence, illustrations and the beauty of maths. Do you have an interdisciplinary life? Because I would love to hear from you. Perhaps we can chat on this podcast that goes with my newsletter, which is called Have You Thought About? and can be found via www.drutyshah.com. Please do join me next time for this fun conversation with another guest who likes to shake up different elements of their life. Thank you to Rian Shah for the music for this podcast.